morning, would you once again bow with me for in a word of prayer as we ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, once again, we bow before you, understanding our great need for your attendance to our time. We understand that the Holy Spirit is in us and helps us understand what your word means by what it says. So Lord, help us take what we hear this morning and begin even now to apply it in practical ways in our life that your name would be glorified in us, through us, and that others might get to know Christ as their Savior. Attend to our time. Be honored with us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we have been studying through the book of Romans as of late, and it's been a great study for us as we have just been plotting our way through the argument of the Apostle Paul to the believers in Rome as he is teaching them all about salvation and what we have in Jesus Christ. We have been spending our last several months in chapters 9 to 11 and hearing the Apostle Paul plead with us Gentiles, really, as he pleads about his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ so that they might know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we have been learning the reality that our salvation as non-Jewish believers, Gentile believers, we have been learning that as Gentiles we have by God been given a divine intent in our salvation of making the Jews jealous by means of our testimony in Christ, by means of who we are as Christians, how we live as Christians. God has designed it so that the Jews would be jealous of that, Romans chapter 11 tells us. And it's in light of that truth that this morning I want to kind of take a brief detour off the highway of Romans, and detour down the road a little bit to the final chapter of the Apostle John's first epistle, 1 John. A book written to the church. And I want to look at what it says concerning the character of Christianity. So if you're not there already, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I believe in evangelicalism today, there is placed far too great an emphasis on the profession of faith as proof that someone is a believer in Jesus Christ, that someone has true conversion, rather than on the character of one's life. There is far too much said about make a decision for Jesus, raise your hand for Jesus, come to Jesus and your life will be fixed, or do this for Jesus, rather than a profession that is based on the reality that there is a character in your life that has changed. Jesus said in John chapter 13 that others will know that we are disciples... Not by what we say, necessarily, but by our love for one another. They will know that you are my disciples when, he says, you have a love for one another. So the old adage, once saved, always saved, is a true adage if someone is truly saved. But it's also true that 
the one who is now not a Christian never was a Christian. In other words, you cannot lose your salvation. But that salvation will always bear the fruit of such a conversion. If the conversion is real, it will bear fruit in the life of the one who is converted. And therefore, the greatest evidence of that Christianity is obedience. Obedience to the word of God, which reveals the testimony of true conversion. We could say it this way. The character of a man is decided by their conduct. The character of a man is decided by their conduct, which the world takes and says, See, you're just really preaching works righteousness. You're just preaching and teaching a righteousness or a salvation by means of effort. No, that's not what we're teaching. You cannot gain righteousness by effort, but once you are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, your life will reflect righteousness. All of the aspects of testimony. Your life is the greatest one. Of all of the things about testimony in the Christian world, your life is the greatest testimony. We cannot forget what Proverbs 4 verse 23 tells us concerning the life of a person. It says, out of the heart flow the issues of life. Out of the heart flow the issues of life. In other words, on the outside is a reflection of what's going on in the inside. My, you've heard the old adage, and sometimes my father used to say it to us, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. If you have dirty water in the well, don't expect to get clean water out of the well. Right? Out of the heart flow the issues of life. Out of a redeemed heart will flow the desire for and the practice of obedience to Christ. Well, the opposite is also true. Out of an unredeemed heart will flow habitual disobedience. And so this is the way that John finishes this little epistle. First John, one of the three epistles that he wrote to the church. This is how he finishes it. Each one who knows Christ will love the brethren. That's what he says. Each one who knows Christ, a genuine Christian, will love the brethren. That will be our greatest testimony to others. Love for one another. It's the outworking of faith. That's, that's what faith produces. And the outworking of faith through love is produced or is a product of God the Spirit. A life that loves the brethren is a life that is converted. And a life that is converted is a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. We have God the Spirit in us if we know Christ. So the one who loves is one who truly knows Jesus Christ. So John says in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we cannot separate faith and love from when it, comes, when it comes to our salvation. We cannot separate faith and love when it comes to our salvation. Notice what he says in verse 1. Whoever believes, <clears throat> excuse me, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's an absolute condition. That isn't a might, that isn't a maybe, that isn't a possibility. This is, if there's faith, 
there's a God birth. There is a birth of God. It's God, He's born again in Christ. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. See, there's a, there's a reality that you can have Christ and say you have faith, and those two be diametrically opposed. Faith, true faith, that believes that Jesus is the Christ brings salvation. The one who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. So just as much as faith, true faith in Christ brings salvation, so does true salvation bring love for one another. They're inescapable. And this becomes the universal principle then within Christianity. This is the universal principle. This is the abused universal principle throughout the evangelical church and throughout the false church throughout the ages because people say, well, God is love. And that's all they describe Him in. And then they go on to describe Him with all kinds of human emotions that have nothing to do with God at all. But this is the universal principle within Christianity. You notice John says, whoever or anyone That means without exception. That means every Christian. That means every true Christian. Whoever has truly expressed faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, in the original grammar here, the original language here, the idea of this expression of belief is in the past. In other words, I have believed and it has ongoing action throughout the rest of your life. It isn't, I believed once and I lived that way for a while, but I just don't really do much about it now, you know, and someday I might get serious with God again. No, there's none of that. This is a a past action with ongoing results. So anyone who has faith in Christ, and faith, by the way, implies submission to Him, notice, he says, is born of God. Again, the wording is an inescapable reality. It's an inescapable absolute. They are born of God, and that birth carries with it ongoing results. Therefore, what John is speaking about here is our life testimony. You believe? This is who you are. We could say it this way. The one who is saved is spiritually alive. Right? The one who's saved is spiritually alive, and that aliveness shows itself in obedient love. Right? You've gone from death to life. That livingness, that aliveness, that spiritual living shows itself in a spiritual activity, and that activity is obedient love. And so John says... As obvious as it is that the one who is born of God loves the children born or loves the father, he also loves others who are born of God. That's what he's saying in verse 1. And whoever loves the father loves the child or the one who is born of him or the one who has been born of him. So we cannot separate true faith and true love from our Christianity. We cannot. They're inseparable. They're like Siamese twins. Cannot be separated by some miraculous surgical process within some kind of false church. 
It does not happen. If someone professes to know Christ through faith, but they have no love for the brethren, then that faith cannot be true. And that testimony that they have will be one that pushes others away from Christ rather than to Christ. You understand what I'm saying? If someone says, I know Jesus Christ, I have faith in Jesus Christ, but they have no love for the brethren, then that testimony of their life is not going to draw people to Christ. It's going to push people away from Christ. Even if they spell it C-H-R-I-S-T. It's not the right Christ. So what does that obedient love look like in us who are believers? What is it about us that makes the Jew jealous? What is it about us, right? We've been saved. They rejected the gospel. The door was open, Romans 11 says. The gospel came to us so that they would be jealous. What is it about us that makes them jealous? That's the question that we are asking this morning. And John answers it for us. John begins to answer it right here in verse 2. Notice what he says. By this we know that we love the children of God. So here we go. You want to know what it is that's going to make others jealous of your Christianity? Here it is. Your obedience to the Word of God. Your obedience to the Word of God. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. In other words, just as you cannot separate the love for God from the love for other Christians... So also you cannot separate the love for other Christians from obedience to the word. You've noticed by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You see that at the beginning of verse 3? This is the love of God. People say, well, that's not the love of God. Well, that's what God said his love is. But his love is this mushy sentimentalism. Not what it says here. I mean, either this is the word of God or it's not. And God says, look, this is my love, that you keep my commandments. I love this. Because John anticipates what we normally tend to think. Right? How do I know when I'm loving other Christians? How do I know if I'm fulfilling what God has commanded of me? I know when I love God and I keep His commandments. Now we need to understand that John isn't just listing two separate things here when he says, when we love God and observe His commandments. In other words, these are concurrent realities. These are going at the same time. In other words, when you keep the commandments of God, you are loving God. You cannot love God and not be obedient. If you're disobedient at that moment, you're not loving God. They're concurrent realities. Love for God and the desire for and ability to obey. These are two things are taking place simultaneously in the Christian. In other words, we 
are loving other Christians, not after, not if we love God and obey His commandments. No. But we are loving other Christians when we are loving God and keeping His commandments. It's not if. It's not maybe. It's not when I do that. No, I'm loving God when I'm obeying. I'm loving God and I'm, I'm loving you when I keep the commandments. You see the word observe there? New American Standard uses the word observe. Some of your other translations may use a different word in verse 2. When we love God and observe His commandments. That word means doing. It's the idea of doing in the present time. Right? When we love God and are doing His commandments. So think about this with me. When you and I profess faith in Jesus Christ, and it's true faith, we're not playing this game about intellectual facts and we just don't have a true faith in our heart. This is true faith. When we we have a a saving faith in Christ, and according to John chapter 1... Here, 1 John chapter 1. According to 1 John chapter 1, we have a relationship with God the Father. That's what it says. You can go back and study it at your own time. 1 John chapter 1. If you love Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with God the Father. And he even intimates that here in verse 1 of chapter 5. If, you're, if you believe in Jesus, you're born of God. And if you love the Father, you love the child born of Him. So there's a relationship with the Father. So we are now in Jesus Christ. We are now His children. And because we are His children, our relationship to the world has changed in every way. Every way. In fact, go back for a minute to chapter 1. I just want to have this float in our minds. Notice what he says in verse 5. and this is, Beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1. And this is the message we have heard from Him, that is from God, and announced to you. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Right? Our relationship has changed. God has no darkness. The implication, because we have a relationship with Him, we're no longer in darkness. Now we are in the light. God is light. So if we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, then we lie and we don't practice the truth. That's a pretty heavy implication. My words or to reflect something in my life, and if there's no reflection, none at all, not even a little glimmering of flash, then the potential is that if I say I fellowship Him, you know, that's my continual walk, that's my perpetual walk, that's my habitual walk, no desire for God, no desire for the people of God, no desire for the Word of God. If that's my walk, then what I say isn't true. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, We have fellowship, not only with Him, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So we know we have salvation. We know we're saved. Now, if we say we have no sin, and we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us, you can't go around saying, well, yeah, I don't don't sin anymore. It's impossible. I'm, I'm perfect now. Well, positionally in Christ, yes, you're perfect because Christ is perfect, but not in a practicing kind of way. You're still here. You're still in the sinful flesh. You still sin. So if you say you have no sin, then you're deceived about yourself. And the truth isn't in you. But if we confess, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a practice of the Christian confession daily because we know we sin. And if we say we have not sinned, 
then we make God a liar because God says everybody has sinned. His word isn't in us. So there's a diametrical change in our relationship to sin. If when we know Christ, sin doesn't have the same relationship with us. We see His commandments and we see His children through other eyes. That's the implication. We, we don't see the world the same way. We don't see the children of God the same way we used to see them. We no longer love the world. We no longer love its ways. And we now strive to live for God. That's what John begins to write about in chapter 2. Right? We're not world lovers. Verse 15, don't love the world nor the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Right? He's not talking about interacting with the world and the sinful flesh tugs you at times and you find yourself sinning at times and you go back to God. He's not talking about the Christian life. He's talking about a non-Christian just loves the world and everything in the world. The exercise of godly living is love for one another, not love for the world. In fact, to not love one another is tantamount to hating righteousness. You say, well, how do you know that? Because this is what Paul says, or I mean what John says as he goes on. He talks about the sin of Cain in chapter 3. For this is the message which we heard from the beginning, chapter 3, verse 11. That we should love one another. Not as Cain, or not in the same way that Cain said he loved. Cain said he had a relationship with God too. He and Abel had a relationship with God. They both brought sacrifice. Cain was saying he was loving, but he wasn't loving at all. We're not to love the way Cain, who was the evil one, slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, to not love your brother is tantamount to... Being like Cain, who was a murderer. Why? Because his brothers represented righteousness. Cain loved his own works. And so you get down to verse 14 in chapter 3, and it says, We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who doesn't love abides in death, you see? So this practice of love is the issue. This practice of how we live as Christians with one another is the issue. And so what does this love look like in practice when you and I as true Christians are loving each other? What's it look like? And thereby by that, others outside, others who aren't part of us, especially those who are the chosen people of God, the Jewish people, when they see us, what happens? What do they see? John says, chapter 5, verse 2, when we keep His commandments, when we observe His commandments, when we're doing His commandments, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we observe the commandments of God. So listen to this. Listen carefully to this. To the extent that you and I obey God, Now think about that in your own life. To the extent that I obey the commands of God is a picture in my life of how I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about that. Some of us say, well, I really care for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet we never read the Bible. Or very rarely. 
We don't look at the scriptures and see how God has called us to live and called us to act. We come to church one day a week, we go away, and we never go to church again. We never interact with the people of God. And yet we say we love God, we say we love what He says. And yet here, John is telling us that to the extent that we obey the commandments of God is a picture of my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can say, to the extent that we obey God, my testimony is used by God to make His chosen people jealous to what God has done with me. We know we love the children of God when we keep His commandments. Let me say it this way. As a Christian... I love you to the max when I obey the Word of God in my life. As a Christian, you love your saved spouse, your saved children, your saved friends, your saved co-workers, the saved people sitting next to you in church this morning. You love them to the max when you obey the Word of God. When you obey the word of God. This is one of the reasons why when we disobey God as Christians, we begin to sense this guilt in our life. We have this this weight upon us concerning whether sometimes our profession of faith is real. Do you ever feel like that? Lord, how can I be saved and do that? How can I be saved and think that? I mean, this, this weight is upon us. This is why it happens, because oftentimes we just simply love our disobedience. We just love it. And through, though, through that disobedience, God has designed it so that we wouldn't have confidence in our faith. Because God doesn't want us to continue to be disobedient. And so we don't have confidence. Confidence comes and is strengthened when we obey. Because when we obey, we know for sure that we love others. You see? It's not because I brought a meal that you know that I loved you. I can do that with a wrong heart. I can do that so that you think I'm a good guy. It's when I obey the Word of God that you know I love you to the max. John says, notice, for this is the love of God, verse 3, that we keep His commandments. So how can... How can you and I as Christians show the love of God? Right? The church talks about this a lot. I mean the church at large. The evangelical church at large. How do we show the love of God to the world? Well, John says by keeping His commandments. You want to show the love of God to the world? Obey the Word of God. Keep the commandments of God. Keep, that's the same word. In verse 3, keep is the same word as in verse 2 where it says observe. It's the same word. But here in verse 3, it carries the idea of both an internal and an external obedience. It's not just doing something. Keeping God's commands is is not just seen outwardly, right? There's a lot of religious people doing a lot of things outwardly. 
All kinds of outward stuff going on based upon a quote-unquote love for people. People appear to do that all the time. And some are even faking it when they're doing it. And the false religions do that ad infinitum. But keeping God's Word, if it's real, is born out of a heart of obedience. It's born out of a heart of obedience. In other words, it's an internal desire. I have an internal desire and drive to obey God. To do what's right. And I I have that first before any external comes. Proverbs 4.23 Out of the heart flows the wellspring of life. The heart's got to be right before anything's going to be right on the outside. It's a heart that's right that produces external action that honors God and reflects the character of God. So obedience to the Word of God has to first be internal before the external is, justifi- is, is a justified obedience, if, you, if we could say it that way. Is a real obedience. Is a God-honoring obedience. And so what are God's commands? What are God's commands, right? That's what it says. We keep His commands. Okay, well, what, what, what are His commands? Well, in a nutshell, it's pretty simple, isn't it? What are his commands? It's right here in one book. One book, 33,000 plus verses. Jude, Jude 9 says that it is the word of Christ. It's the word of Christ. Here's what Jesus said in John 17, verse 17. We studied it. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So it's the word of God. It's the word of Christ. It's truth. It's the only place we can find that. Whatever the Bible says by way of commandment, by way of implication, by way of uh, analogy, whatever God means by what he says is the word of God, is the commandment of God, is what we ought to be doing, is the way in which you and I show love to one another. Sometimes that looks like you and I getting together for a cup of coffee. Sometimes that looks like you and I being together at a function of the church. Sometimes that looks like you and I having a heart-to-heart sit-down about weaknesses and blind spots in our life that we need to deal with. Sometimes that looks like the mature Christian coming and rebuking my life because of a sin issue that I do not see. Sometimes that's what the love looks like. But it never looks like just ignoring one another. It never looks like just taking it upon yourselves and deciding at an arbitrary moment, ah, I'm just not going to go with the people of God today. That's not the love of God. Therefore, the love of God and obedience to the Scriptures are one and the same. They're one and the same. And keeping them is driven from a heart. A heart of obedience, which is why verse 3 in 1 John 5 continues and says, and his commandments are not burdensome. Boy, sometimes I feel burdened by them. What do you mean they're not burdensome? Well, they're not burdensome when my perspective's right about them. They're not burdensome when my heart is right with them. 
See, they're not burdensome. Burdensome carries the idea of some oppressive weight, some oppressive Lord uh, 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 load upon me. But true obedience is born out of a desire. Jesus said, my yoke is light. In other words, true obedience is not grudging obedience. It's not, ah, do I have to today? I mean, I hope you didn't wake up this morning and say, really, Sunday, do I have to today? I was talking to somebody recently. They said, talking about the issue of being here and being at the church and saying sometimes they don't feel. I said, let me surprise you with something. I'm the pastor of the church and sometimes I don't feel like going. They said, yeah, but you go because you're the pastor. You got to preach. I said, no, that's not why I go. I don't come here to preach. I come here because I know it's the right thing to do. God gives me the privilege to preach, the frightening privilege to preach. But I come to be with you because God called me to be with you. And he says, I want you to be with my people. I don't ever want you to forsake that, he says in Hebrews 10. Don't forsake the assembling together of the body. Don't ever wake up in the morning and go, gosh, I just don't feel like it. I think I'm going to go take a day off today. It's not that there are times when we, we're not here, that there are times when you can't be. You, there's things that go on in life that God ordains and orchestrates and circumstances which keep us from that. That's not the issue. The issue is when you're not, why are you not? Because obedience is love for the brethren. How do you love me if you're not with me? Not with me in spirit, not with me in prayer, not with me in... Proximity. True obedience is not grudging obedience. True obedience is not like the little child who said, yeah, you told me to stand up. I'm standing up on the outside, but inside I'm sitting down. That's not what we're to be like. That's not the heart of a Christian. That's not the heart of a obedience that brings a testimony to others that draws them to Christ. That just pushes them away or draws them to a Christ that cannot save. See, loving you and loving each other is not something that we dread. Not something that we can't wait till it's over. No, it's our heart. It's in our heart. Loving each other through obedience to the Word of God should be the joy of our life should be the joy of our love for God. That's the kind of love that affects other people. That's the kind of love that makes other people jealous. Christianity. Christianity is a non-loner religion. I don't even like attaching that word to it. Because it links in with everything else. But we think of it like that sometimes. But it's a non-loner religion. You can't be by yourself. If someone desires to always be by themselves and never reaches out to other believers, then how can the love of God be in them? You cannot separate true love from true obedience. And therefore, here's what it says lastly. You cannot separate true obedience from true victory over sinfulness. 
Look at what it says in verse 4 and 5. For, whoever, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, this is the reason that God's commands are not burdensome to keep for those of us who are truly born again. Because whatever is born of God, again, clearly it tells us it's an inescapable state of being. Whoever believes in Jesus is born of God, and therefore whoever or whatever is born of God overcomes the world. It's a state of being. True Christians, we're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We now have the ability and love-driven desire to obey. That's the idea. We've been given that by God. And it reflects itself in what's going on in our life. And so what happens? We overcome the world. We read it in Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deception and the ways and means of the world, the thinking of the world and all these kinds of things. We are world overcomers. That means we are victorious. Those who truly know God are victorious over the wicked system of the world that is hostile to Christ. We're overcomers. We're not... We're not talking about being perfect here. We're not. This isn't perfection. This side of glory is not perfection. I'm thankful of that because if this is perfection, we're in trouble. This isn't perfection here, but it is direction. It's direction towards Christ's likeness. It's desire from the inside producing on the outside this desire and ability to obey Jesus Christ. You see, the world wants to make God's word and obedience to it oppressive. That's what the world wants to do. Oh, stay away from the word of God. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts. You don't want that constricting your life. If you follow God, you're just going to lose out on all the good things of life. All the niceties that are out there in the world. If you do what God says, you'll become a doormat for everyone to step on. You'll be an outcast. That's what it says. But John tells us the very opposite. John says, no. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. You see, so the battle against the world starts right here. Starts right here in your mind. You're thinking. Don't be taken captive by philosophies of men. It's against worldly thinking. God's commands are an unbeatable burden to the world. They can't bear what God says. And God's word becomes a burden to us when we begin to think like the world. Worldly thinking says that obedience to God is not our best interest. Don't do it. That's not going to be good for you if you go down that road. That's going to cost you greatly. Oh, you might lose this. You might have to give up that. You might not be able to do these kinds of things. It's not your ultimate good for what God's word says to you. The truth is that God does want our best. God always does what is good. He's never done anything to us or allowed anything in our lives that would be for our worst ever. 
John says, this is the victory that's overcome the world. What's that? Our faith. Our faith. You see, when a person comes to Christ at conversion, when faith is real, God gives them the power by the indwelling Holy Spirit to have victory over the world, to have victory over how the world thinks, to combat the world's thinking with the truth. And we have to appropriate that truth. We have to be in it. We have to be absorbed in it. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You have to, you have to, to, to be there. You have to be drinking it in. What is faith? Faith is entrusting yourself to Christ. Entrusting yourself to what God has for you. To God's plan, not your plan. Not manipulating it. Not manufacturing your own life according to your worldly and modified worldly thinking. No. That's not what that is. That's not our faith. No, our faith is submissive trust. It's like Jesus Christ who entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. That's our faith. And the one who overcomes, who's the one who overcomes the world, he says, verse 5. But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, he's made a full circle. He started with that. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now he's saying whoever is born of Christ is an overcomer. John says, confident entrustment in Jesus Christ as your Savior is the key to present and continuing victory over the world. Walking by faith. You'll have victory over how the world thinks, how your old self lures you to disobey against God's word. You have victory over that when you saturate your mind and walk by faith in the truth of the word of God. We read it this morning, Colossians chapter 2. I just read it again, a few verses. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We read it last week, Colossians chapter 3. If you've been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ who is your life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God has come, he says. But these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, Obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, whatever you do, mouth or action, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see? So here's the point of John here in 1 John 5. 
If someone is truly believing that God became man to pay the infinite debt that they justly owed, and that salvation by faith in Christ simply comes by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, if that's what you believe, then that person and you are truly saved. Victory over the world and its thinking is guaranteed. Just do what God says. Don't be burdened down with this constant weight upon you that, man, I just don't know. Just walk by faith. Christians walk by faith. Why? Because we have a relationship with God. Because we're born of God. And He is truth. He is life. And that life becomes a visible testimony then of God's love in us as it's reflected in us as we love others by obeying the word of God and our testimony then is used by God to a watching world to say man what is with those people what's with those people through that they might begin to ask us about it And through that, the Jew might turn back to God and God save them. And remember what Paul said that would be in Romans chapter? That would be like life from the dead. That would be like a living resurrection right in front of you. Jesus said, by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so it's my prayer that our testimony would reflect that. It's our prayer that what we learned from Romans chapter 11 and going forward and what we've learned here this morning, what we heard ironically in our Sunday school class this morning out of Philippians chapter 2 would be reflected in our life as we grow in our love for one another, which means as we grow in our obedience to the Word of God. Well, let's pray together. Father, this morning we thank you for just these short words. It's time together to see the reality and the connection, the chain link between you saving us and we being part of you and that reflecting in our love for your word. And when we love your word, we know we love one another. Lord, give us the unction within us, powered by your spirit, that we might obey your word even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when you have chosen that we might be crucified for it. Let us obey your word so that it would reflect Christ. So that you would be glorified, not so that we would be applauded, not so that we would be patted on the back, simply so that you would be honored. Lord, thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for their obedience to it, to your word, for their belief, for their desire to serve. Lord, enrich this body by your hand of grace as we love your word, obeying it and reflecting that to one another, interacting with one another, serving one another, sharpening one another, caring for one another in all the ways that you have commanded us. 
so that you'd be glorified so the gospel would be seen in us and others might know Christ. Thank you for our time this morning. Enrich our lives by our obedience to your word, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.